everybody. Welcome to the Inscripted Wrestling Podcast. I'm Dan. That would make me Doug. Eric and Kenneth are here. How's everybody doing? You know, I got to say something about that theme song. Not only was that some old Joe's theme song, that's the theme song that uh, you, Sharon, and I use again when we walk into a buffet. Yeah. We're, it's a big episode tonight. We're doing our top 10 favorite TNA wrestlers of all time. Yep. Uh, basically, when the company started in 2002 to present day in what year are we in? 2023. Thank you. Uh, 2023. So any, and anything, anybody from that 21-year time span, for anybody that doesn't know, because this is kind of timely, TNA, like Impact Wrestling is switching back over to TNA. Yeah, they made the announcement back. Love that. At uh, at Bound for Glory this pa- this past Saturday, Clint, did you watch the pay per view? Not the team. Not the last. I haven't watched a TNA pay per view in a while. Okay. All right. So they had the pay per view this past Saturday. It was kind of a special night. You know, Mike Tenay made his return to the company to get inducted into the TNA Hall of Fame along with Don West. You know. Don West, of course, went in posthumously. Tracy Brooks went in. They did this thing at the end of the at the end of the night where a bunch of them are basically gathered like in front of a lake. It's uh, Jordan Grace and Frankie Kazarian and Eddie and Alicia Edwards, uh, Eric Young, Josh Alexander, and Frankie Kazarian has like this treasure chest with him that's got TNA written on the side. And they're basically say they're like you know in order for us to succeed in order us in order for us to move forward we have to go back into our past and it was fun and obviously the Motor City Machine Guns were there as well Uh, and it's funny that like the guns and Kazarian and Eric Young were all involved in this uh, in this vignette because. They have all been there. Frankie Kazarian started with the company in 2003. Yes. Yeah. He, he was, but then he re-signed with Impact here. Okay. Okay. Because I thought that no. Yeah. No, he he went back. His uh, contract with AEW went uh, came up about a year ago. Uh, TNA made him an or Impact made him an offer. He felt like he was had more creativity there, okay. so he felt because like, all in AEW he was doing was he was jobbing to anybody that was a friend of Kenny Omega's. <laughs> uh, okay. He was a tag team champion. Yeah, in, in the beginning. Yeah. So he um, but yeah, Frankie Kazarian started with the company with TNA in 2003, as did Chris Sabin, Alex Shelley, and Eric Young came in in 2004. So. You're looking at guys that have had 20 you know, that were there 20 years ago when the company was yeah a baby, right? Yep. When they were running Wednesday night pay-per-views. The homegrown guys. Yeah. So it's just appropriate that those guys are still there now. Yeah. Was somebody going to say something? No. No, I, I love that they're going back to uh, TNA. Yeah. Originally. I, I'm, I'm very cool. happy with it, too. Now, if they could just get on a network that isn't Access TV, that's actually watched by a bunch of people. Now, Tony doesn't own that, yeah. right? No. He just has worked with them no. before? They're, yeah, they're just a working relationship. Uh, 
Impact is owned by Anthem Sports. And uh, Anthem Sports. So what's actually funny is that Anthem actually also owns Access TV. And years ago, when they first got the deal to go on Access, TNA could not find a network. So Anthem bought Access. Uh, so they could run TNA on the, on the network, uh, which is pretty fucking hilarious. Uh, but yeah, so they're run by Anthem, and you know you have guys there now, like you know Santino Morella's there. He's the director of authority. Yes. Uh, Fandango's there. He's known as Dirty Dango. <laughs> Vladimir Kozlov just showed up last week. Really? Yeah. He's still working? Yeah. Uh, so. Badass. Yeah. So uh, the company is still, like, even though it's not necessarily being watched by a lot of people, like, they're, they're still around. And they're still an alternative for guys to go and work. I mean, look at uh, look at Trinity Fatu, you know, Jimmy Uso's wife. She's having a ball over there right now. Yeah. So she's kind of killing it in TNA. Yeah, I'm happy for the company. Remember Naomi? Oh, okay. She's over there now. Yeah. Uh, she didn't want to go to AEW. Uh, she happened to know people in Impact. Uh, That's kind of cool. And yeah, she happened to know people in Impact. Uh, they got her in, and she's their and she's their women's champion right now. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool that like, you know, she's able to thrive and cause impact kind of gives you like that creativity. Right. To where like, I didn't do that. I was over here. <laughs> uh, they, it gives you that creativity to, you know, you can kind of come up with your own. It's like what AEW promises, but really right. doesn't deliver. Impact kind of does. Yeah. Uh, and then, but like you can get that you know creativity to where like you can kind of come up with your own stuff if you want, or like if you think something might work, or if you have a pitch, you know people will listen to it. Yeah. Because right. a lot of their office people are not necessarily current wrestlers, but former wrestlers. Right. Like Scott Demore and Gail Kim, and uh, believe Gail it or not, not anymore. She retired. But she, oh, okay. she's uh, office. Okay. I think uh, Al Snow used to be office over there, but I don't think he is anymore. I think he's just running OBW. Uh, oh, D'Lo Brown. Mr. Brown? He's another uh, office guy over there. Wow. So, yeah, they're doing they're doing pretty good. And the fact that they're going back to the to their roots I th- I mean I I'm pretty sure some people have already made fun of it. I love it. Yeah. I mean I'm more psyched about that. that. I like Go ahead, Eric. He said he thinks he likes it too. I said I, I love it too. Okay, yeah. pretty cool. I'm more psyched about that than I am about the fact that Ric Flair is going to manage Sting for the next three months until until Sting's retirement. Yeah, no one gives a shit about that. I mean, Jesus, Tony Khan <laughs> promises a gift for Sting. And the gift is Ric Flair. It's like, instead of buying somebody a brand new Mercedes, 
he goes out and buys the guy. A, a, well, I was going to say a 1962 Pontiac Tempest. I don't know if anybody will get the reference or not. You might have to watch my cousin Vinny. I respect Rick that he's still working and everything, and he's still putting himself out there. And I don't really want to say this because we had such a big health score and everything, but our health scare with him a couple years ago and stuff, and he's getting really old. But is it not time to just fuck off soon? It just feels like he's... been time a long time ago. But it's not even like he's just in wrestling anymore. Like, you look around, he's on Rogan. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad, like, people are interviewing him and stuff. Like, kill Tony, but, like, like, it's just like he's everywhere now. And it's like, like... Rest. Go to a beach somewhere and hang out. Like I get, he's Ric Flair and he wants to live that life all the time. I just seems exhausting. I'm just surprised that he left WWE. So something must have must have happened. Yeah, that's the thing. They were so good to him too. Where's the loyalty? I hadn't even thought about that. Well, or did Vince say it was okay? I Vince really. I mean, well, Vince technically has say because he's chairman, but because he has no longer in creative. Two things must have happened. Either Flair got upset because Flair does not like when his daughter is not the champion. Okay. When his daughter has to put somebody over clean, he goes off. Yeah. Okay. He went off about it at WrestleMania or after WrestleMania. He did like a whole fucking episode on it on his stupid ass podcast. He's got a podcast? Yeah. Uh... Everybody does. Is that one with Conrad, too? Yeah. It used to be with Mark Madden, but Mark Madden realized that Flair isn't, that Flair's a pain in the ass, and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm out. Flair didn't want to give up the show, so he's like, uh, Conrad, if you don't want me to talk my daughter into divorcing you, you're going to host this podcast with me. Uh,. So, you know, Conrad got sucked into, like, a 30th show. Uh, yeah, no, nah, it's just, so either Flair didn't like, you know, Charlotte not, uh, you know, not being champion, or he's not happy about the fact, because he's, he's one of the very few people that was not happy, that was happy with Vince McMahon coming back. Yeah. Uh John Cena actually being the other one. But uh, so maybe it has something to do with the fact that Vince is no longer in charge. of. I, I don't know. It's only speculation. Yeah. Uh, or maybe WWE just like Flair just go home. And he saw an opportunity. Uh, you know, him and Sting, long history together, which I'm not going to deny any of that. I'm a Big fan of a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, I do, however, think that Sting's retirement tour will be dragged down if that idiot is in his corner. Can we talk about TNA now? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Our top 10 TNA favorite wrestlers of all time. Sting might be on a lot of people's lists. Uh, I don't think Ric Flair is going to be. Definitely on mine. Flair's run was kind of forgettable. Besides the rule-off with Jay Lethal. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that he put over Jay Lethal only for uh, him to want Jay Lethal, Lethal to do the favors back for him. 
our top ten favorite TNA wrestlers. You want to go first, Doug? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Who's your number ten? Uh, Scott Steiner. Ooh. So, I've always Ooh. been a fan of Scott Steiner. And in TNA, his stuff was just kind of just like... Because in TNA, that's when he really did not make the most sense. Yeah. Because, like, he was doing the whole thing. You know, he first came in in 2006 as Jeff Jarrett's insurance policy. He was with Jarrett for a while. And, you know, did a couple months. Actually had, like, a pretty decent feud with Samoa Joe. Yeah. They did have a good feud. Yeah. Uh, After that, he disappeared for a while. Came back in March of 2007 as Christian Cage's insurance policy. He was part of Christian's... uh, what is it, Christian's Coalition or something? I like think that? so, yeah. Where it was him, Tomko, AJ, and uh, and obviously Christian. Yeah, I think it was the Coalition. Yeah. And then, you know, in mid two thousand seven, they brought they brought Rick Steiner in. Yeah. Because they wanted to get off that the Steiner brothers versus Dudley Boys like dream match, which to be honest, it is a dream match for a lot of people. It's a dream match for me. Yeah. Right. Yes. And. Uh, they were going to do it at Slammiversary 07, but Scott ended up taking a kick in Puerto Rico that almost killed him because he had to have, like, uh, throat surgery. Or, or, no, the throat surgery almost killed him Oh, because, like, he had to have emergency surgery, oh. and it, the doctor botched it in Puerto Rico. Uh, he must have thought he was operating on Bruiser Brody. Uh But uh, so then they postponed it. They had the match. In August, they ended up winning, did another match at Bound for Glory, and then after like that, Scott or Rick was gone. Scott turns heel. Uh, Scott Scott did like a bunch of stuff. Like, you know, he's part of the main event mafia, yes. part of Immortal. One of the things I'll, I'll never forget, like, because Scott could be Scott and Rick, like when they were in it, when Rick was in there, they could be funny. Yeah, like there was one. Very comical. Yeah. There was one instance where Jim Cornette is doing an interview in his office, hyping up the main event for like the following week's show. Then all of a sudden you just hear like a faint knock and then you hear something crashing through the door and you see Scott walking in and Rick has Cornette's door in his hands. <laughs> that, that is funny. Yeah. And he goes, Jimbo, Cornette, we want Team 3D next week in the ring. And Cornette, uh, Cornette uh, goes, Team 3D and the Steiner Brothers, same place, same time. I smell money, so you got it. And Scott's like, well, thank you. Hmm. And then Rick puts the door up against Cornette's desk and goes, sorry. <laughs> and then walks out of the room. That's hilarious. And then Cornette looks at the girl that was interviewing him. I, I forgot what her name was. Uh, it was either Lauren or Crystal or somebody. And... She looks and she looks back at him, and Cornette's just like, "Who else but these two? But like, yeah, they could be comical. I mean, I think the Steiner math promo actually came from there, didn't it? Yeah, I think it did. Because some of the, like I said, his promos there, like they made no fucking sense, but they were, God, they were funny to listen to. And some of his matches were actually pretty good. Like, I, you know, he had really good matches with Joe, like I said. 
Uh, you know, really good matches. I I think he had really good matches with Matt Morgan. You know, when him and Rick were together, you know, they had really good matches with Team 3D. Uh, him and Scott, him and AJ actually had like a, an amateur takedown challenge. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that because that was like 15 years. I think I do remember the AJ and Scott. Yeah. Amateur takedown challenge. Yeah. And it was funny because, like, AJ was dressed up in a singlet and all that. And Scott, you know, he had his muscles out or whatever. And AJ thought he could take him down. Like, he thought he was a better amateur wrestler, which AJ was an amateur wrestler. Yeah. Okay. Scott was a national champion. And, by the way, AJ was 212 pounds. Scott's 275. AJ got up to 212. I think so. Damn. I mean, I remember him being 212 at one point. Okay. But yeah, no, Scott was, even though a lot of people might shit on Scott's run, I enjoyed it because when he really came in to TNA, that's when I was such an avid watcher of the, of the product. Yes. I can see that. Yeah. All right. I'll go next. Okay. I have Shark Boy. All right. He's funny. The Remember when he was doing the Stone Cold gimmick? That was my favorite stuff, when he was drinking the fist juice. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. I just, he was never a big time character or anything, but it always struck me as a kid, and since we're doing favorite wrestlers, I thought he should be on there. I agree. You know he's back. Is he, he really? He's Santino Morella's deputy director of authority. Really? I, I, I'm pretty sure he's still, I'm pretty sure he's still doing it, but Santino said he needed help, so... Uh, Shark Boys is like, oh, I'm your man. And he goes, okay, you got the job. Now, Santino Morella, was he the guy that had the soft hand? Yeah. Okay. So, Santino Morella and Shark Boy are the authority figures in TNA right now. Holy shit. That's not a good idea. <laughs> I mean, I like it. I like it, too. Because they're both, like, nuts. Yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. I, I don't know. He was just a fun, because the X Division was filled with so many, like, talented fucking people. Like Shelly and Aries and uh, Styles and Saban and all these really good wrestlers, low-key. And, yeah. and then you had Shark Boy. And he was just, like, the necessary comedic relief for the little guys for me. I always liked him. And the fact that he, I think he might have got a little money off Disney, because I know he sued him over the Shark oh, Boy Sh- shit. Shark, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Yeah. I don't know if he won this or how that went or anything, but I know they, I think they went to court over it. They went to court over it. And then he ended up, I think they ended up taking him off t- because he had the deal. Remember they were taping at the, at Universal. Yes. Which was obviously across the street from, from Disney. Yeah. So he didn't get fired. He didn't get fired, I think. But I think his contract ran out, and I think because he got money from the suit, he's just like, all right, fucking, I'm out of here. Because they were bringing in so many guys. Because in, like, 2008, they were bringing in so many other guys anyway. And and you got also one thing to remember, too, because, you know, I talked earlier about Scott Steiner having, like, so many spells. Big Scotty. TNA at the time was not giving out year contracts. You were given a, like, the territory days. You were given a specific amount of dates. Yes. So if if you were told, okay, we're going to pay you for 
Five appearances. Now, those five appearances had to be within, like, a, a calendar year. Yes. Like, I remember Sting's first TNA contract, like, back in 2003, 2004. Four dates he had to work. So, and it was only, he only had to make four appearances with the company and, until they renegotiated. So, they made sure to just save him for special appearances. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was back in those days to where like you only, if you're only paid for 10, for 10 shots, you don't have to take all 10 in a row. You can do five for like a, a big program, yeah. a big feud, and then save, you know, go away for six, six months and then come back and work the next five shots. Fuck you. Yeah. All right. Eric. Who's your yes, number Mr. Matt Morgan. Um, I like I, I thought he this guy had potential blueprint, they called him. And he he had the body of a wrestler, the prototypical wrestler. I mean Vincent Mann with uh I don't I'm surprised he didn't even went to WWE because this would be Vincent Mann's wet thing. He, he was he there. Bodied, like, oh, he was? Yeah, he went in in like 2003, 2004. He got released in 2005. Uh, okay. This one's going to take baby but, steps. Anyway, he, he's still... He, he's... He's a prototypical uh, Vincent Man wrestler. He's like... Bobby Lashley. He had the potential of like Bobby Lashley. Even though Bobby Lassie had to back I'm saying he had potential, but I guess it never... Was he a world champion in TNA? He won the world championship twice, I think? Not in no? TNA, no. Okay. But, yeah, I, I liked him. I, I thought he had potential, but it didn't work out. I still like the character. I like how he... um. I think in the blueprint. Yeah. I don't know what you guys think you thought of him. Well, I mean, he was on my list, but I just had to change it. So. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, that's fine. I kind of figured. I have a. Uh-huh. Huh? Back up. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, because he did get pushed so hard back then. Especially when he came in, and for like the 2010 era of TNA, they really wanted him to become something. So I feel like he was constantly. Why are you looking in the balance and telling the truth? I was actually looking in the reflection. I was looking at Sharon playing her game. Oh, okay, but you agree with me, right? Yeah. He he was getting pushed very hard, and uh, it seemed like they really wanted him to be something. And uh, I don't know if he ever fully realized that potential, but he did have some big matches. You know, I think. When uh, they were doing the deal where Jeff Hardy had the heel turn, and like it was going to be Jeff Hardy and Anderson, you know, going at it for the title, and but Anderson got a concussion, so Matt Morgan had to uh, Matt Morgan had to take over, and he got a couple shots, 
but then Anderson was ready, so they gave Anderson the title. Yeah. I, I think it was just like Matt Morgan was just like he could have good matches with the right people. It's just we didn't necessarily know like who the right people were gonna be. No. Uh and I mean he played both sides pretty good. Like he was a decent baby face and he was a decent heel. He was good at both. Yeah. Yeah. I he had the intensity and he had like what would Vince would call the look. Yeah. He did have the look. He looked like and especially because around that and it's kinda like AEW when they first brought in Cage. Yeah. And it's like this guy could actually be something special because of the people he's around. It's a big guy amongst a poor little guys. Never really did nothing with him. But uh Morgan was impressive being around the Chris Sabins and but even like it makes an interesting matchup for an abyss, you know, putting Matt Morgan against him. You Which know? they did have a pretty good feud at, yeah. at that time. And they did monster they did a monster's ball together, didn't they or no? They were teammates in a monster's ball. Okay. Yeah. Uh it was three D, LAX, beer money, Morgan and Abyss, and a monster's ball with Mongo McMichael as the referee. Uh so, yeah, and Abyss actually took the flaming table spot. Uh, you did? Yeah, Ab- Abyss took the flaming table spot, and uh, they used that as an angle for a while. But, yeah, Morgan and Abyss, like, they were teammates for a little bit. And then, you know, they had a little bit of a feud. I know. Yeah, I Morgan and Abyss. I mean, it's better than his WWE run, you know. I, I feel yeah. like a lot of people want to say he's wasted potential. I, I think he did a little too much to to say that. Because I think, you know, he was popular. He He had fans. There was kids that looked up to him, you know. The, the prototype shit. People like them. You just got a shit ton of energy. Well, that's <laughs> what happens. But uh, <laughs> he's uh, a lot more likable now, huh? Yeah. But uh, he uh, he was a good character, and I think he, he meant a lot to, to TNA at that time. I think he got lost in the shuffle eventually, and I think they kind of, you know, because, yeah. you know, you add so many new fucking people that, you know, you forget about the homegrown guys, and TNA yeah. definitely fell victim of that. I think in 2013, like, he was just, like, because he, he was doing a gimmick to where he was trying to be, like, the next Hulk Hogan. Like, he stole, like, Hulk's, like, uh, Terry the Hulk boulder roll from his beach shop or whatever. But uh, after that, like, he had a match with Sting. Sting beat him, and then Morgan was just released. Yeah. He was done after that. Yeah. And that's the history of Matt Morgan. Pretty much. All right, Clint, who do you got? I got Abyss. It's number 10 on my list. Hell of a pick. Huh? Hell of a pick. Yeah, so you got to go with Abyss. Abyss is somebody special. A special character. I mean, if you want to talk about like a dark character, weird, a Mick Foley mixture of a little bit of, of craziness of wrestling type of way, you you have to put up this up there. 
Yeah. He shows no fear on the chick that has to look for you type of way of um, what it is when it comes to matches. I think, and, and that, by the way, that's another guy who uh, has basically been with the company since the beginning. Yeah, he is a homegrown, and it was it's just cool because Abyss has a special place in everybody's heart because I feel like everybody looks at him as like their Kane for TNA. Yeah, and they're not not necessarily Undertaker. I'd say more like their Kane or the, like it's like I said about the Matt Morgan thing. TNA had a lot of little guys. Yeah. Even in your main event, you got like Jeff Jarrett and AJ Styles or something. Like. It was nice to have a monster, a, a brutal, like just a character, even like like Abyss was. He was always a main staple there, even when he went by his real name and did the Joseph Parks thing, which was fucking hilarious. He always did like I just I have a lot of respect for Abyss, and I wish that's the only thing about TNA being so small is not enough people got to see him. Yeah, but Abyss was the fucking man. Well, and remember, at one point, he actually had been contacted by WWE. WrestleMania 22 was actually supposed to be him and Taker. They were going to bring him in to work a program at that WrestleMania 2006 with The Undertaker. Yeah. But the thing is, that's all wow. he wanted him for. He was going to come in. He was going to do that. And then afterwards, like, that was probably going to be the end of the push. Right. And he's just like, well, I have more to offer. Like, I know you want me for Undertaker, but I could work with other guys. All we want you for is Undertaker. So he went back to the Jarrett's, and he's just like, I I changed my mind. Because he gave his notice. He gave his notice and was going to, like, he was going to be done. Like, they had even announced it on the fucking website that he was, on TNA's website, that he was out. Yeah, he was Benito. Yeah. But then he goes, he, uh, or, but then, you know, he has that phone call. He goes back to the Jarrett and he's like, uh, I changed my mind. Can I stay? And Jeff's is like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, we don't want to fucking lose you. So he ended up, or no, this was, or no, not 2006. This is 2005. It's just, like, the dream matches he could have had in WWE is nuts. Yeah, Undertaker being the first one, I do think that, I do think him and Batista probably could have been money. But even, like, him and Little Rey Mysterio, that would have been fucking money. That would that would have been money. I think, uh... Him and John Cena, that would have been a program. Him and, him and Cena... Oh yeah, uh, I'll throw I'll throw another name out there that you know a lot of people might not think about, but I do think that it could have worked. Could have been a uh, a mid tier program. Him and Finley. Oh that, yeah, that'd be fun. Umaga. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Umaga. Umaga. Uh, another name out there. I know it's not a popular name to say, but it would have worked. Benoit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Edge. Yeah, he could have won the But it's yeah, definitely Randy. He had a lot of good matches in TNA though with the and he was he's that homegrown talent. When you look at TNA's roster around I'd say probably 2008 was the peak, right? 2008 2009, right before Hogan and Bischoff. So. 
I was, did, like main event mafia. You, you, you fucking, can't even say 2007 might be okay. 2007, 2008, when they had like a good mix of of legends, but also a lot of fucking awesome homegrown talent. Right. Like just one of the best rosters. I think AEW in when they first started can compare or like WWE in 2003. Just kind of this like really good solid roster that. Sh- can like carry you you know what i mean yeah. just a fucking amazing roster yeah. and i think tna just really had that for a long time and a staple and they're one monster they're one and they tried to bring other people but they're one like monster of the company like the beast was a best well you know how he started there right or huh. do you want me to tell a story i mean we're still on 10 aren't we yeah tell the story all right well i'll, I'll condense it just don't get mad Time when there's a part two uh I won't get mad until we hit part three. Uh, so, 2000, obviously, the company starts in 2002. Uh, in 2002-2003-ish, TNA has kind of a, a business partnership with IWA Puerto Rico. Okay? And they had a business partnership with them because Dutch Mantel and Savio Vega are working for are working for the Jarrett's as part of their booking committee. Yes. But they're also working for Puerto Rico, the promoter out there, Victor Quinones. Savio and Dutch kind of negotiate. Well, it's more Dutch. Yeah. Because Dutch can obviously, you can understand Dutch when he's talking. Savio, not so much. So they negotiated kind of like... you know, the guy, Jeff Jarrett would go over, work a lot of the Puerto Rico shows. You know, guys like Shane the Glamour Boy and Apollo and all that. And those guys would come over. Yeah. Or the IWA guys, like, they would get them to possibly either come over and work like dark matches for Explosion or whatever. Yeah. One of the guys that was working in IWA Puerto Rico at the time was Abyss. He was their tag team champion. So they brought him over because they needed somebody to kind of be like the backup for Kid Cash. So they brought him, they brought Abyss in, and it was just going to be a talent trade, and Abyss was only going to work a couple of shows. They liked him so much that IWA is just like, fuck it, you can have him. Because, and he's been, he was there for years. Yeah. So he basically started out as a, you know, just a talent swap. It was just supposed to be a couple of shots. Yeah. They liked him. They saw potential with him in the as Kid Cash's partner for a while. Then as Jeff Jarrett's backup. Yeah. And his career just kind of took off from there. So it, it's amazing. Like with him, he started off, he was the partner of former Bariqua, Miguel Perez. Ain't that a story? Yeah. I used to love the IWA program. All right. You ready for your number nine? It's my turn. I think it is. Quinnith was last. All right. Uh, We're on to number nine, finally. (laughs) The show has been going on for six hours now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if Quinnith calls it, I can't argue with it. Doug Williams. Okay, one half not the, not the quarterback from the uh, from the Washington Commanders from the eighties. 
That's when they were the Redskins. Yeah. And he was the fucking man, dude. Doug Williams is the shit. But one half of the British invasion for yeah. TNA. And uh, I, yeah. I like this pick, and I'm going to let you go off on it. I like this pick, though, because I think a lot of people would think that you would have the other half of the British invasion based on what he's going to do compared to Doug Williams. But yeah. I am a Doug Williams fan, so go ahead. All right. So back in 2010, when the British invasion kind of broke off and like Magnus got hurt and they were going to try to push Rob Terry, mm-hmm. which was a bad idea, even though like they were kind of giving him a little, like a little bit of a baby face rub. The problem is the people just didn't buy it. Uh, Doug Williams was kind of flourishing because he was the X division champion at the time. And he had probably one of the best finishing maneuvers, the rolling chaos theory, which is the, you run him into the turnbuckle, you roll, and then you hit the German suplex. Yeah. Awesome move for the time. Chad Gable uses it now. That's hard. And it's fucking awesome. That is awesome. And he created the move and he got it over. And that's why every, that's why he was being pushed. At the time, it's because everybody just was enthralled with that move. Now, unfortunately, the push didn't last long, but he was a he was a hell of a talent, and uh, he he just uh, like yeah, he was a hell of a talent, and he was one of those guys that really helped carry the X division uh, in. You know, 2010, when it seemed like, you know, Bischoff and yeah, Bischoff and Hogan could have cared less about that division. Uh, yeah, yeah. But also, like, they kind of – wasn't the X division getting kind of mid by then? Like, let's be honest. Amazing Red, I don't think he's on any of our lists. Uh, well, he's not on mine. No. Not on mine. And they really, like, tried to – Not on mine. Yeah, there was like the X division. I think had seen its better days by that time. Well, yeah, because then AJ got promoted. Like fucking some the machine guns were doing their tag team deal. Uh, Kazarian was in and out. Daniels was in and out. Like they were becoming like main event stars too. So like it was kind of like like what you do? What do you do with the cruiserweights? Like everyone thinks that yes. All the cruiserweights in WCW should be in the main event. They should be pushed bigger. We all agree. But then it's like, who do we replace them with in the cruiserweight division? Right. Who fucking replaces Eddie and Ray and Dean and Jericho and all these great people? You know, who replaces them? Uh, and that's what's kind of like for the X division. Like when AJ goes to the main event and or when Fortune starts and we fucking – it's not really X division related. Like what do you do with the X division when right. these guys built the fucking thing? Right. And AJ was always kind of main eventy a, a bit anyway, but still, uh, he, he would he would go back and forth. For yeah, a he of always years. always yeah. He could always, he was the, the guy. He's Cena, and I'll get to him later. But he's Cena for TNA. Yeah, there's a, there's one face. Well, you'll get to him later if nobody else gets to him first. Or I'll get to him next episode. Yeah, I I'm not replacing him. That is, we we know where he's going to be on my list. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, I already know. He's on, he's yeah. Been, like, yeah, I, I fucking, if we're talking favorites, like yeah, he's literally my like my favorite wrestler of all time, at least in the top three. So, yeah. uh, 
But he's in my top. Yeah, the, the X division was getting kind of mid by that point. It felt like a little bit. Right, but I feel like with him, you know, because he was there. Because when you have him and and Brian Kendrick as like the two guys that were really uh, that were like the cornerstones of the division at the time, and nothing against either one of them, but Douglas William Doug Williams was getting was helping get that division over. And then when they tried to, you know, when they tried to elevate him further and it just wasn't working because they, you know, the fans, they couldn't necessarily get behind him as a baby face. Yes. He had a cool move. Yeah. But after a while, it's just like, okay, dude, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're not as over as we had hoped you were. Okay. Your, your move is, but it also it also because on Dougie and first of all all Dougies are likable to me. Uh-huh. But the thing with Doug, uh, I just don't think it always felt off when he was a baby face. I mean, he wore the same tights. Yeah, which is weird. They should have did a different tight job for him. But I, I like I, I liked him. He just always seemed like an oddball, you know. It's yeah. Like what Doug? It's like. He felt like Lance Storm to where he's got to be a serious heel or there's nothing else he can do. But as a serious heel, it's kind of boring. It's kind of better when he's not. But he was in that weird category. Yeah. But he was really fun to watch. I liked his matches. I thought he was almost – I liked him with Magnus a lot. I thought that was a great tag team. No, the British Invasion. Yeah, yeah. I thought the British Invasion was a great tag team. Uh, and I, I still like Magnus or you know, Aldous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can go by either name. I, I call him Mr. Mickey James. I but I like I think Doug's an underrated pick and that's a good one. And I remember when Magnus, what was that TNA show, that after show that they did, ah, uh, with the panel of people and then they would have JB host it. Spin cycle? Maybe I don't know, but they would have like four or five people like on the thing, like wrestlers on the panel. Oh yeah. He'd just be like, all right, and they would discuss, like, different topics, and JB like, all right, let's take it for a spin. Yeah, yeah, that's a spin cycle. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that was a fun little show, but I remember, I forgot who they were challenging, but Magnus came on to challenge uh, whoever the tag team champions were at the time. And uh, he, they were like, well, who's going to be your partner against us? He's like, Dougie Wuggy, of course. It's just the way he said it had me dying. Dougie Wuggy. Yeah, he's like, me and Dougie Wuggy. So yeah, yeah, it was yeah, definitely. I, I remember that show. I also remember that show being like the last time, like Jim Cornette was ever on camera for an episode or for like TNA at all because they had to start putting him in the production truck because they were getting to a point where Savio Vega was the one running the production truck, but the people in the production truck could not speak Spanish. <laughs> so they couldn't understand them. Predicament. And Cornette was just like, all right, I'll do the production truck. Well, Jim, we need you for on camera. So he goes, I'm beginning to hate my fucking job. So just put me in produ- put me in the truck. Have somebody else. Because <laughs> at that time, Mick Foley was like the head, like he uh, had like uh, the executive voting shares or whatever. He was like an executive shareholder or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know what? Just make Mick the uh, the on-air authority figure. Like, not me. 
so that's what they ended up doing, and then Cornette left anyway. But yeah, I remember that spin cycle because uh, that's one of the more memorable episodes where Cornette's just like, I have no time for this shit. All right. Uh, I'll get my number nine now. Okay. Uh, and mine is a tag team. And I forgot to say this at the top of the hour, but uh, tag teams count as one slot. Here, yes. If you want to pick a tag team. So my first team, and it's, it could be a trio. It depends. There's a few people, kind of a faction. I'm going with the beautiful people. I mean, that's a good pick. There's a distinct reason why. Too. I love that thing. Thanks, you, Eric. And I lo- I like them a lot. And it's not only just because I thought Velvet Sky was hot as a kid. There's a lot more to it. The big reason for me is I feel like in, in female women's wrestling, for a female heel, there's only a couple different like uh, categories that they, they put you in a box a little bit. It's hard to be creative. It's hard to like come up. You're either the big, strong, like heel, or you're like the bitchy, like mean girl. You know, right. you're the mean girl heel. Not it's like if you're a dude and you're kind of scrawny, you're the chicken shit heel. Like if you're a girl, especially if you're like a blonde or something, you're the mean girl. You know, there's been so many in wrestling. Remember, like Lay Cool, fucking Trish. Whenever she's a heel, that's kind of how she is. Yeah. Bella's. I don't think anybody or any like group of women have done this better than the beautiful people. I thought they did that to perfection. I think the characters were done to perfection. Yes. They, they were really good characters. Yeah, Velvet ring, go ring, in the ring. Yeah. ring work yeah. was was decent. Well, Madison Rain and uh, Angelina Love are two like solid fucking wrestlers. Yeah. Those two can go. Velvet yeah. Sky and Lacey Von Eric can't fucking tie their boots, but they're hot. Right. And, but and Lacey wasn't even really a great personality. She was just there because she was pretty, and she was a, a daughter. They, they need they needed a uh, they needed a third person because Angelina Love could not leave could not leave Canada. And I have no problem with Lacey. I think she's a sweetheart. But it's like, yeah, I mean, the beautiful people. What they are is Angelina Love and uh, Velvet Sky, and then you can throw in Madison Rain in there if you want. Uh, all, they were just so good at being the mean girls that, that like, clicky fucking make fun of the fucking weird one. Like, just, like, Tara's a little weird, so we fucking bully her. Like, they were just so good at that. And then when they get the shit beat out of them, it's so satisfying. And that's what this is supposed to be at the end of the day. That is the art of being a heel, is being an absolute scumbag and making people hate you so much to when the good guy beats the shit out of you finally, everyone's like, fuck yeah, it finally happened. And the beautiful people, every program they've ever been in has captivated that. One of my favorite, uh, uh, one of my favorite backstage, backstage segments with them, and I think I brought this up a few weeks ago. Uh, they were going to team with Kurt Angle in a main event against AJ Styles, ODB, and Gail Kim. Yeah. And Kurt went to talk to them about, uh, you know, strategy. They were canning, <laughs> right? And he's just like, what the hell are you doing? We need to, you need to be training. You need to be like, we need to be going over strategy. And Velvet's just like, you know, Kurt, we are training. We're training if we see TMZ or talent scouts. And Angelina's like, yeah, talent scouts. <laughs> and Kurt looks at JB and says, JB, this is why I hate women. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> and I was, when I first saw that, I was dying. And Papa was watching it with me, and he's just like, I don't know if he can say that. 
I'm like, well, he did. That is hilarious. Yeah. That is it's like, oh, my God. It's very good. It's very good. Yeah. All right. Uh, but, yeah, that's what I have on the beautiful people. I just, like, great – and that knockouts division – Fucking the women's revolution should like bow down. Like I'm sorry, like they just don't get enough credit for what they did because they made women's wrestling le- legitimate way before it. WWE. Oh yeah, I think. Yep. They I did. I mean, took what, they, they took did. what TNA did. TNA love Exactly. They just had the most solid women. The beautiful people, a nice heel like chick, like a monster beast heel in Awesome Kong. Fucking like when Mickey would came in, a fucking awesome baby face and Mickey James. Uh, you had like yeah. what was the blonde girl? Taylor. Taylor Wild. Taylor Wild. Fucking, she was a good underdog, like baby face. I, I love her. Uh, ODB. ODB. God, God bless that woman. Oh, fucking trailer trash personified. One uh, of the best characters. Like ever. I, I, I should, I forgot to put her on my list, and I, I am. Ashamed. Yeah, now that you just yeah, I I put, uh, my memory, and she was amazing too. Yeah, like God, God bless her. Yeah, lo- love her to death. I, and the funny thing is, is that like ODB was actually like she was offered, or I think she was in WWE's developmental at the time of the development of the knockouts division. And TNA was trying to get her. And uh, Triple H said to her, he's like, you know, we don't have anything for, you know, we really don't have anything for you. Is there anywhere else you can go? She goes, I got this opportunity to go to TNA. He goes, take it. You know, Flores there, the character's really good. We just, we don't see the character working here. But you can get it to work in a place like that. Yeah. So go. And what did she do? Yeah, and honestly, it could have worked in WWE. I mean, she she was really good. But that women's division, it just it as a girl that I haven't brought up yet, but she's later on my list. There's a lo- there's a lot of like fucking Hall of Fame level like the women's revolution. Like I said, owes a lot to that. That's yeah. all I'm saying. But uh, all right, Eric, what's your number nine? My number nine is Bobby Roode. Um, and I have I have him on on the list of tag team too, so I've him kind of twice on this list on my list. You You can keep him on your stuff. All right. As a single wrestler, I love him, and obviously as a tag team, I love him. But yeah, this guy, it's great. And when he went to NSC, he was great. Is he seen seen song in NSP was great. Um but yeah, this guy can do both. He's a good heel, good face, good tag team wrestler and good team wrestler. And after his uh he had a good feud with James Storm. When, I forget which one turned was it Bobby that turned on James? Uh or yeah, who turned, turned on Storm. Bobby. Yeah. And that that was a fantastic uh feud. And he was a great champion too. What was the what was the video we watched? Uh was it like all the TNA champions ranked or something like that? Or uh where the one guy was like, Nobody counted on Bobby Roode being a bastard. <laughs> that was Adam Pacitti for uh Cultaholic. Uh yeah, that was their uh TNA champions video. Those guys are funny. Yeah. 
from across the pond. So, yeah, yeah. Bobby Roode being a bastard. And then he said like the same thing about Bully Ray later. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he called him a miserable. <laughs> he called him a miserable bastard. Yeah. Yeah, he's <laughs> working for Bully Ray. That actually was really funny when they were uh, when he was champion. Bully Ray was yeah. his manager. Well, his uh, occasional tag team partner, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because Rude's another one that started in 2004 as part of Team Canada. Yeah, he's been there forever. Uh, Bobby Rude's the fucking man. Yeah. That One of the WWE's biggest missed opportunities, especially because in NXT doing the glorious thing and that being so fucking over – I, I do not know how he got to the oh. main roster and nothing has happened since. Right. I don't understand it. Well, right now he's hurt because he had uh, spinal. I know, but the, the boat's kind of over now anyway. Yeah. But it's like he – Bobby Roode's always been the fucking man. Right. Whenever he's given the ball, like a lot of people will talk about his tag partner uh, and say that you give him the ball and he gets scared. I don't agree with that. Or he'd do something to mess it up or whatever. There's a few people that you can't say that about Bobby. Whenever no. he gets the ball, he rolls with it. He can be a fucking heel. He can be a fun baby face. He's better as a heel, but he can be a fun baby face. Team Canada worked. Beer money worked. Fucking he was even he even made Fortune look kind of respectable. Yeah. When he was part of yeah. Team Canada, which by the way, Team Canada is very underrated. Uh you know, obviously him and PD and yeah. Eric Young, obviously with the stars, and then whoever the fourth guy would be at the time. Uh, but managed by Scott Demore, who Mike Tanay always called Canadian Bacon because he was fat. Yeah. Wait. That that's one of those things. That's why I think when TNA was kind of in like their infancy, like their first couple of years, when they were the toddlers of the wrestling business. They were underappreciated and underrated. Yeah. Because they really did have some good stuff. Yeah, they did. Yeah. All right. Plymouth? Uh, Number nine for me is going to be beer money. Okay. I think they're going to be on everybody's list. I got A&W. Fuck you guys. I actually like that better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a damn good yeah, pick. I mean, yeah, you you can't go wrong. I think one of, uh, out of all the original TNA, these two guys, James Storm, Bobby, made this thing actually worked. And they were a great tag team, heel or babyface, like everybody says. Not only as singles, but as great rivals, but also as a tag team which made it even better. They put on great matches, and it was fun to watch every week. They were together for three years, right? And then they kind of had like a a six-month run in 2016, so probably about three and a half years together. Only that? That's crazy. Yeah. And yet you have a team like the Motor City. They win the tag team for almost like 15 years. I mean, beer money was... They win the tag team title thing. Time, right? Uh, Beer money, I think, won it like three or four times. Okay. 
They were always one of the greatest tag teams in TNA history. Yeah, yeah, I think they are the TNA tag team you think of. Maybe the Motor City Machine Guns, if you're thinking babyface. But I think if you think TNA tag team, what's the best one? I think a lot of people tell you it's Beer Money. Well, yeah. I'm surprised it's only three and a half years altogether. I thought they were together a lot longer. 2008 to 2011, because 2011 they split. And then in 2016, they got back together. I remember the split in 2011. Before Bobby went to WWE. About it in middle school, my buddy Connor. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah. I mean, a lot of people would say that also, too, uh, when Storm was with Chris Harris and AMW, like that was also a bit. But because Harris had so much... uh, you know, he had potential. He just couldn't put everything together. Storm and Rude could. And everybody was so, like, yeah. focused on Chris Harris. They thought Chris Harris was going to be the guy. A lot of people thought that, yeah. but then he got fat. Yeah, well, not only, not only getting fat, but in 2004, when they were going to give him the NWA title in 2004. Vince Russo had pushed for it. Jeff Jarrett okayed it. There's a problem. What was the problem, Doug? The NW the NWA board of directors, or the or yeah, the NWA board of directors who, uh, back in the days, going all the way back to 19 throws a dash. They controlled who the champions were. You had to have a meeting. It had still to be, in 2004. Yeah, you had it, it had to be presented. I, I I don't know. I don't think it's still. I don't think it's like that today. It wasn't even a thing anymore, though. The NWA didn't even exist. Barely. No, you said they still had like a board of directors and but all that. But how? They were barely functioning. Well, because it was they, WCW. WCW failed. Well, because they were still technically like under. Because you still had an NWA champion. You still had. Uh, What's NWA? National Wrestling Alliance. But where did he wrestle? The NWA turns to WCW, right? Yeah, and then uh, and then they brought it back, uh, like they were going to be part of uh, ECW because ECW had the NWA title. Yes, and then uh, they were doing like uh, Northeastern, like Independence and stuff. So like NWA was kind of still like independently. Yeah, yeah. And then TNA came in; they were known as NWA TNA. So who who's the board of directors? Jerry Jarrett, uh, and I forgot who else because I think Dennis Corraluzzo was already dead. And they didn't like uh, Chris Harris. Yeah, they uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't push it through. Uh, Jerry Jarrett especially. Jerry's just like it's our company. Jeff is my son. Jeff is going to be the champion. And they just didn't, yeah, they didn't think it was, they didn't think it was a good idea, which, which happened. The NW, and there have been times where people have done off unauthorized title changes of the NWA title without clearing it with the board of directors. That's crazy. Uh, And the NWA has fucking gotten pissed. But since technically the NWA was you know, part of the TNA name, they're just like, all right, we're going to listen. That's nuts. Even though Vince Russo was, 
you know, not not listening was actually part of Vince Russo's playbook. Yeah, not a big listen guy. You can watch yeah. later. Uh, all right, who's next? I think it would be my number eight, right? Number, number eight. eight. Mickey James. Holy shit. Hardcore country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So miss my list. Oh well, fuck you! I got to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have had a crush on this woman. Since you were a kid. About eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. Because uh, they're the same age. Yeah, she's only seven years older than me. You're older. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's forty something right now. I've had a crush on her too. Yeah. Uh, when I when I met her at the one convention in Philadelphia, uh, Mindy of course had to bring up that I was that I had a crush on her. I said, "Yeah, oh yeah, I've like I've I've been dying for this." She goes, "Well, I'll try not to ruin it for you." I said, "I looked at her and said, if anybody is going to fuck this up, <laughs> it is going to be me." And she she just smiled and uh. Like, you know, I got a picture and all that, and I'm just like, don't drool, don't drool, don't drool. You're funny. Uh, unfortunately, I know how I am. <laughs> You're a drooler. Yeah. You drool hard. Yeah. But no, when she came in in 2010, uh, like, you automatically knew that she was probably going to be... Uh, Put as the face of the of the knockouts division, and when she came in, she had really good matches with Terror. She had that uh, the one steel cage match with her. Had really good matches with Madison Rain. We talked about her feud with Angelina Love and uh, and Winner, which I thought was stupid that Winner's the one that got the title. Uh, but no, she was. She helped carry that division for about three or four years. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, she was somebody that WWE should have never really let go of. And it, it was, like, obvious that it's like, well, she still has some gas in the tank. And I go several times. I mean, the only reason why they let her go is because John Cena said she's got to go. Yeah. I mean, oh, well, that's what... That's what people are blaming it on. She has said, I, and Cena, of course, won't talk about it, but Cena has even said, or no, she has said that, you know, yes, I had issues with John at the time, but he had, as far as I know, he had nothing to do with me being let go. It was me, you know, being immature and the company saying, all right, fuck it. You know, she wants us to pick between him and her. So we're going to pick him because he's our star. She's just not. And they date. Yeah. They are. So here's the timeline. She's dating Ken, uh, Kenny Dykstra, right? They're engaged. Cena says, ooh, me likey. They start flirting. He cheats on Dykstra. 
they're fooling around. John decides, uh, John ends up meeting his high school sweetheart, like, out in public somewhere. Like, they run into each other. He dumps her. He marries the high school sweetheart. That's cold, Cena. Yeah. She didn't take it very well. Nobody gave a fuck. And then she met Maddie. Um, huh? And she... And she married uh, Magnus. Not Magnus, yeah. Not, not right away. Yeah. It was right away. No, not, not right away because uh, around this time, she, you know, Magnus is actually, I think Mag, uh, Nick Aldis is actually younger than me. Well, you're old. Wow. I didn't realize he's still in his 30s. Wow. But that's what I meant is the fact that he's still in his 30s. She's in her 40s. Yes. I agree with you. All right, my turn? Yeah. Representing Team Canada as well, I have the master of the Canadian destroyer, Petey Williams. That's a really good pick. And the thing is, is that like he was such a staple of that X Division. He was. But when Team Canada ended, that's when his stock really went went down. Yeah, he never really came back after that. But the little Scott Steiner stuff was kind of fun. Little Petey Pump. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I liked him as little Scott. Yeah. That, that was funny. Like, I'll never forget, like, when uh, he won the Feaster Fire briefcase, like, when they did that. Was basically, for anybody that doesn't know what Feaster Fire is, you have four briefcases. Yeah. You can either get a TNA title shot, an X Division title shot, a tag title shot, or you get fired. And uh, Scott Steiner had won a ma- had gotten the briefcase and then had won a uh, won a match where he could switch cases. So he switched Petey's case, right? Switch cases with Petey. Well, Scott Steiner had the world title shot, but he gave it to Petey unknowingly. <laughs> So PD got the world title shot, so that started their feud. And unfortunately, you know, that was also the match for Christopher Daniels because his contract was up. Or well no, not Christopher Daniels, the Curry man. No, well first year it was Christopher Daniels. Oh in yeah. Two thousand seven well. it was him. He came back as Curry Man and then in two thousand eight he got fired as Curry Man. So like this is how fucking hilarious this is, is that like the same guy loses the match two gets fired in the same match two years in a row under two under two different gimmicks. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh no, Petey Williams is a good pick. Like the Canadian destroyer, that would suck I mean now everybody does it. But it was a big deal back then. Yeah. Because he was the only one that did it. Yeah. Well, because you're lucky if you can get a two count on it now. Yeah. But that was a finish, and it looked brutal when yeah. he did it. That was a brutal finish to where it's like, oh, a guy's neck has to be snapped, you know? Right. It was That was just such a good move. I love that move. Uh, and Petey was the fucking man, and he had the intensity about him. He always felt – like I like Bobby, I like all of them, but he kind of felt like the leader of Team Canada for a while. Well, because he was kind of the golden goose. Yeah. So I always enjoyed him. I, I do agree that after that he kind of fell, 
But uh, yeah, I like Petey. So, all right, Eric, who's your number eight? My number eight is um, number eight is Awesome Kong, my first woman on the list. This she had Deb. She was a great wrestler in the ring for her size. Um, I thought she defined women's wrestling in TNA too. Her and Gail Kim. And she went to WWE for a bit, but then she she got pregnant, right? She got pregnant, but then had a miscarriage. Um, and they brought her back, and she was, her head was just so messed up from the miscarriage that WWE is just like, all right, yeah, we're not dealing with you. Wow. Yeah, and then she went, Back yeah, and like I, I think she went back in like 2014, 2015. And then she made a brief, brief uh, appearance in the AEW for a bit with uh, uh, Big Guerrero, but that didn't go anywhere. Right. I they dropped the ball there, but I have not no surprise. It's not here or there, but um. Yeah, I, I saw Awesome Kong was awesome. Absolutely. Well, here's here's what will make me that what made me such a huge fan of hers is when she beat the shit out of Bubba the Love Sponge. Because the fucking moron, he made a, a, a joke about because you know that's when like the earthquakes in Haiti or whatever happened. Yeah. He made some stupid ass comment about it on. His, his radio show. She's of Haitian descent. She confronted him. She wanted an apology. He said, I ain't apologizing. You know, I'm a friend of Hulk Hogan. I can get away with whatever the fuck I want. So she beat the shit out of him. Hulk proving that he is a no good piece of shit, which is not really a secret. And went to Dixie and said, she beat up my boy. She's got to go. So they fired her, but then, you know, Hulk realizing, oh, yeah, I, I'm actually fucking this guy's wife, finally said, oh, yeah, we can let Bubba go. Wow. Yeah. Austin Kong was a beast. And she definitely one of the best uh, female wrestlers, one of the, like, uh, because there's not been a lot of big women. You know, you got big men wrestling. You don't have a lot of big yeah. women. She's probably the best of all of them. Uh, she's better than Nia Jax, yep. that's for sure. Well, yeah, because she doesn't hurt him. Yeah. Awesome Kong was a constant professional. She could have been a good hand for AEW. She, it was in, kind of too late. Uh, but she was always a fun time to watch. I, I thought Awesome Kong was great. She did the Glow Show, too, didn't she? Yeah. The, the one on uh, Netflix? Yeah. I don't watch it. I watched it. Is she in it? I believe she was. There you go. All right, Clint, who's number eight? Sting. Sting? Sting on my list. Nice. And Sting, yes. Another one I'm not changing. <laughs> I'm not changing that either. You got, I, I'm guessing you've done everybody's list. 
I yeah. he should be. And the, the thing with him is that I know everybody's always going to associate him with uh, with WCW, but with TNA. Uh, yeah. In in TNA, he was just he was another guy like because Jeff Jarrett trusted him, Dixie Carter trusted him. They because uh, he was like one of those guys that he wasn't necessarily working for the company; he was working with the company. Yeah. Um, His career was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but yeah, he was one of like I said, he was one of those guys uh, that. You know, when they brought him in, it wasn't necessarily to work for the company. It was to work with the company. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, he was the face of TNA for almost 10 years. I, I think he he had a lot of good <clears throat> programs. and he And, yes, he did work with the company. And I don't think Sting ever really got selfish or anything. Or he he tried out no. new characters like the Joker shit. Even though we have differing opinions on that, uh, I, I think Sting was important, and he did. I don't think Sting's best work was in TNA, but I I, I was no. always happy he was there. He was always a guy you could put in the main event, and that's worthy of being the main event. Uh, the Sting was a constant professional. His stuff with AJ, his stuff with Kurt. Uh, Sting, he was, he could be the same guy that he was for WCW for TNA. And it's just kind of, but it always seemed like the only thing that tainted this is the whole time we're sitting there going, dude, just fucking go face the Undertaker. At least I was. Well, yeah. And then he yeah. fucking finally leaves, and then he faces Triple H's bitch ass. Uh, so. I, I I just think, and I like Sting and TNA. I thought he was, I thought he was great, but he's he's not on my list. He would be on my if it was top ten favorite WCW wrestlers. I like TNA's. I like his theme song a lot in TNA. I think yeah. it might be the best TNA theme. That yeah, that shit is fire. And him walking around with the bat and shit. He was cool, but in the red outfit and the stuff. Now I'm selling myself more on it, but I did enjoy Sting in, in some areas. I the matches he was getting old, but he still had some stuff in the tank. I think it, it would depend. Like the 2011 ring work of Sting was not great. Yeah. Like, even though they were really pushing him as world champion, I do think that is once he hit 50, which was in, like, 2009, it's just like, okay, Sting, you got to, like, you got to, you know, take these breaks or whatever. You're not the worker you once were. Yeah. But I did enjoy, like, even though his stuff in 2011 wasn't great, I did enjoy some of his stuff with, like, Anderson and Kurt Angle. That was uh, I like when he snuck up on Anderson. Oh, at the Slammiversary, oh, yeah, when was... Anderson's like, Mr. Anderson. And then he goes to bring the mic up, and Sting's just like, Anderson! <laughs> and fucking like, just, just scared the shit out of him. Yeah, that was so funny. 
I mean, that was the beginning of the Joker character. Yeah. Uh, uh, one thing I'll never forget is uh, the feud with him and Kurt Angle where they actually involved uh, Sting's son, Garrett, uh, who was 17 at the time. And Kurt, like, went to one of his football games and actually, like, they turned the camera off because they made it look like he was beating the shit out of beating the shit out of Sting's son. Yeah. And uh, he's just like, well, Sting slapped my wife. So, which he didn't. They made it sound like Sting's. And, like, uh, they did the Bound for Glory match, which was really good. But then they, uh, but Sting wasn't going to keep the title for too long because Bound for Glory, like, they had a a rule of Bound for Glory, you have to send the crowd home happy, and then we'll do a title change the next week. We'll put the title back on the guy, but like the crowd has to go home happy. Yeah. Uh, something Vince McMahon stopped doing in 2010. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, around 2017, 2018, they actually quit coming to the building happy. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, like, with Sting, and it's not, there wasn't too many guys he could not work with. I agree. Yes. So, exactly. Uh, Content profession. Yeah. I was going to say, do we want to do the number sevens and then take yeah. off? Uh, sure, we'll do six to one next week. Okay. All right. You're number seven. Sure. <laughs> Did he just say, "Are you sure?" Yes, because the way the way this case is going, we're gonna be here for like only that small. Yeah, we'll just do number set. We'll do one more for each of us, and then, uh, yeah, we'll do the rest next week. Okay. Uh, but we might have to do part three. Clintus right? Who knows? <laughs> it's good we have a lot of content. Though. Yeah. Go ahead, Doug. Black Machismo J Lethal. Awesome. Uh, no matter what he was good, doing. That's a guy yeah. Here's a guy who, you know, plain, you know, uh, plain baby face. Uh, you know, he, he was really good in the ring, really athletic, but they found out he could do a Macho Man impression. So Kevin Nash is just like, why don't we roll with this? And uh, they did, and he became a big star. I mean, he's one of very few guys in that company to pin Kurt Angle, by the way. Uh, when he pinned yep. him at that, I think it was a no surrender. Uh, Kurt Angle had to defend, because uh, Kurt Angle held all the major titles, except for the knockout title, because it wasn't created yet. Uh and he had to defend all three titles in one night. Jay Lee, and he lost the tag titles because Sting got pinned, and he put Jay Lethal over clean. And it was considered like one of the biggest upsets in TNA history up to that point. Jay Lethal was the fucking man. Oh, wow. Yeah. In ROH and TNA. I feel bad he never got shot in the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I also feel bad that he's stuck with all those idiots in AEW now. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Like the whole thing. I, I, I do not. I do not like that group. Like I. Well, and, and nothing against Jeff Jarrett, but leave your wife at home. She hasn't been. She hasn't been useful in fifteen fucking years. Uh, you got a you got a guy who thinks he's a great colleague, and that's Satnam Singh. Uh, and oh, you have Sanjay Dutt, who's a bigger I bitch than Karen. <laughs> I did like Sanjay in TNA, though. Uh, no, I like him in TNA. I don't like him now. No, I don't I, like anybody. I, I, think he's, I think he's useless. I think he's a, he, he looks like a little testicle. <laughs> uh, he's a testicle. Not wrong in there. <laughs> All right. Like, so... But back to back to Jay Lethal, back then his black machismo in TNA. Once they took him off the black, it's going to be really hard to focus for these next couple of. Oh, I, yeah, I'm kind of stuck on little test. Yeah, in a suit. Uh, but go ahead. What the hell am I talking about? Who knows? All right. Uh, but. No, Jay Lethal, once they took him out of the Black Machismo thing, I think that's when his career started to go down a little bit. Yeah. But there's only so far he can go as Black Machismo. And a couple reigns with the X Division yeah. title is not a, bad, not a bad thing. No, it ain't. Hey, buddy. That's a good you choice. That's a good take on um... Yeah. Number seven? Yeah, go ahead. Or do you want me to do something on Lethal now, too? I mean, if you have something to say on him, say it. But if you don't, go to your number seven. Yeah, he was good. I, I like the woo-off of Slayer. Oh, yeah, that was funny, too. Woo! And, and he genuinely oh, I, had a... Go ahead, Bob. I was going to ask, um, which which one do you like better? Do you see an A-run or an ROE one? His ROE one was pretty damn good. I think he was more of a serious competitor. Like, I think he was taken more seriously in Ring of Honor. Yeah, he was. But I think his character work and his fun stuff was in TNA. Kind of like Kurt Angle's fun stuff being in WWE, but his, like, serious, like, really good wrestling matches in TNA. Yeah. Like, Jay Lethal was one of those guys. Like, once they took... uh, like when he was part of that house of truth with that truth martini, who was basically just Don Callis without pants. Yeah. Uh, which was fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, Jay Lethal still made it work, but it was also like, what the fuck are you doing to this guy? Yeah. I, I do think he was a lot more serious and, in ROH. I mean, oh, he was yeah. taken seriously. Yeah, once they took Truth Martini away from him, yeah. and they realized that Truth Martini oh, was yeah. about as useful as uh, was, is about as useful as Don Callis. And in my opinion, he's not really that useful. Or he's about as useful as a testicle in a suit. He's about as useful as Candace Michelle at a talent convention. That's actually better. Even though I really liked her. I think I became a man to her. Uh, Did I buy you were playing more? No, but a couple of the old WWE magazines, I got creative. Uh, My number seven. 
Still can't open the pages. Christopher Daniels. The Fallen Angel. Oh, I like I I'm going to go as far as to say he actually was next. I, mean, I had the guns, but I guess I'll talk about that next time. I skipped the pick. But Christopher Daniels, the Fallen Angel, I think he might be the biggest unsung hero in independent wrestling of all. I think he does not get yeah. enough credit for what he was able to do, even like building the foundation with AEW and SCU a little bit. He has always been the guy you can call on, even with his like dark ring of honor, same thing, fucking legend, TNA fucking legend, wherever he's gone. But he always felt like it always felt like him and AJ and yeah. Kazarian too, but it always felt like him and AJ. It always felt like those are the two homegrown yeah. guys that can do anything with each other and it's good, can tag with each other and it's good. As long as they're together, it's going to be good. And that you can tell their best friends that love working together. And it always felt like those two were the homegrown. Like if AJ or Chris leaves, then the whole ship goes down. That's how it always felt to me. And the Fallen Angel shit was great heel work and a great character in the uh, a triple X, like I was just gonna say, you can't forget that triple X. His tag team work with AJ, just all the shit he was able. He, if it wasn't for his size and people not being open minded, he would have been a world champion multiple times, and he should have been. Right. He was always the guy. He, he to me, he reminded me of like a Tommy Dreamer, like the face that never got his due enough, like booking wise. Right. And, and Even what, though Tommy wanted to lose, but still. Like with him and by the way, he is, he's the head of uh, talent relations in AEW right now. Uh, so he's the uh, asshole getting all these WWE guys over there. Yeah, uh, and he's also like, you know, one of the reasons why everybody wanted CM Punk out of AEW because believe it, believe it or not, like when because CM Punk thought he was the head of Collision. Christopher Daniels went to work one day and CM Punk said, if Ace Steel isn't allowed here, neither is Christopher Daniels. I do not want him on my show. And because Tony Khan's a fucking moron, he's like, all right, Chris, you can't work collision. And it's just like, he's the head of talent relations. He's got more say than Punk. And you're t- he could technically fire Punk if he wanted to. Why doesn't Punk like Christopher Daniels? Because he's friends with the Bucks. That dude's such a fucking idiot. I'm like, so sick of that idiot. Yeah. And by the way, he was God actually damn. backstage. Fuck at, straight edge. Smoke a joint and chill the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, dude's an idiot. Can we do that after the show? Maybe. All right. Uh, you got three minutes left. What? <laughs> I just asked a question. Okay. Didn't say I was going to do it. You gotta clear it with your wife first. Uh, apparently, he just said no. So, uh, but no, like Punk was actually at the uh, at the Impact taping, like on uh, on Sunday. All right, well, fuck Punk. Let's yeah. let's move on. He was a bust in TNA anyway. Yeah, I don't want to get into Punk. Let him go off on him. Well, that's what I'm trying to get you guys to do. That's why I brought it up. I've got it several times. I think he sucks. I think he's an old, bitter bitch. And if I saw him in the street, I'd knock him the fuck out. <laughs> I don't like He should him. be at home with his wife. Yeah. Who has more talent than he does? Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Uh, yeah, Christopher Daniels is great. Eric, who's your number seven? 
my number seven um one of the best wing pressers. Not just in teenage history, but of all time. Uh Gail Kim. She defined women's wrestling in the two thousands, especially TNA. And I think WWE dropped the ball with her when uh, she went to WWE, but that's not here or there, you know. But yeah. She probably her and Austin Kong are probably the two best wrestlers in TNA history, women's wrestlers. I know you love her too, so Gail is one of those, like, when they brought her into the company in 2005, I don't think they really had, like, any designs on a women's division yet. Uh, yeah. But they brought her in. They paired her with Jeff Jarrett in America's Most Wanted. It worked. And then in 2007, when they finally got the division up and running, uh, you know, she thrived in it. And then, you know, unfortunately in 2008 when she when she left and went to, you know, went back to WWE, which was a, which it was a bust. Yes. But, you know, she wanted to try it again. They thought she thought things were going to be different. Uh It was never her fault. No. It, it wasn't her fault. It was, you know, the guy running the show is an idiot. Yeah, and it's another thing where, like, the woman's revolution is looking you in the face and you don't want to realize it until baby Nate comes in. Yeah. You know, it's just – it's infuriating because Gail Kim was more talented than the whole roster both times she was there, including Trish Stratus. Oh, yeah. I know that, I know it's a fucking exactly. bold statement, but still. Gail Kim is just one of the best women wrestlers of all time, and the fact they flopped her twice – it's inexcusable. You know how many 30-year-olds are fucking throwing their laptops up against the wall right now because you just said that Gail Kim's better better than Trish Stratus? I know. That's they're a bold like, statement. They're like, we jerk off the Trish. There's no way she's Gail Kim's Gail better Kelly. than her. It's a bold statement, and I'm not saying that Trish is not the GOAT, but if we're talking in-ring work... Let's be honest. No, I'm I'm agreeing with you. And to be honest with you, I actually think Gail's a lot hotter than Trish. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not that's not what it's about. I, mean, um, I was going to say, Gail Kim is not bad looking herself. I mean, well, no, that's, I that's... I, thought, I thought Trish was pretty too. I'm just saying, I think Gail is hotter, and Robert Irvine, the chef, is one lucky son of a bitch. That's that is. A, I think Gail Kim is really hot. That that that, that is because he's a handsome, muscular man. He Sharon loves him. Yeah. Uh, she cook for her any day. Uh, cooks for Gail. I think the closest thing to Gail Kim right now is Tommy Oscar. It's who? Oscar. I think completely as different channels. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, all right, Clinton, finish us off. Who's your number seven? Oh, mine was the same as Gil Kim was mine's own number seven as well. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's just say this a couple minutes. Yes. 
I don't know. I mean, let's get, I mean, what do you think, um, Lennox? I mean, I know you. I mean, you, you guys said it all. He's right. Uh, like I said, I think Gail Kim was one, to me was like the face of like the one of the faces of uh, the women's knockout division of TNA level. Like she was also a great champion, and I like seeing her earn when it work. Very good. Yeah. Now Gail is, and you know, Gail also has a rightful place in in the Impact Hall of Fame. Obviously, much deserved. Yeah, she's probably she to me she's top five best female all time. So yeah, I agree with you guys. Yeah. Yes. Uh, before we before we uh, head off here, do you want me to uh, give a quick recap? for what happened this week in our manager team challenge series that we're running in the, in the group. Yeah, do it. All right. So, uh, this past week we had, uh, you know, since we, since I did a recap last week, this past week we had Jimmy Hart versus Paul Heyman. We had Colonel Parker versus Bill Alfonso. Right now we're in the middle of sensational Sherry versus slick. Yes. In the Jimmy Hart versus Paul Heyman matchup, Daniel represent uh, Jimmy Hart. You know, was his team was drafted by Daniel. Yes. So that's Daniel's team. Paul Heyman was his team was drafted by Eric. All right, Jimmy Hart won twenty nine twenty eight. It was close. Damn. Now mm-hmm. Paul Heyman got twenty eight points, so he still technically could get into the second round because it's going to depend on points. Okay. Uh. Colonel Parker, which was a team drafted by me, took on Bill Alfonso, a team drafted by Clinics. Oh, God. That was the closest matches of the week because nobody could get, like, a clear advantage. And also, Clinics kept voting for my team to win. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. He's trying to give you an edge. He knows he's going to kick your ass. Yeah, uh... Anyway, I won 22 to 18. Okay. Now, so far that means Bill Alfonso's team has the lowest points scored of any final, so they might not get into the second round, but we've still got a long way to go. Right now, the match is going on in the group, and the third set of matches will be draft will be happening tomorrow. But right now, it's you and me. Ah, who's winning? All right, so it's my sensational Sherry team versus your slick team. My Sherry. Right now, the score is 2010 slick. However, right now in the group, we have Adam Cole beating Cactus Jack, 8-5. to five. Sting beating Junkyard Dog, 12-4. to four. And Finn Balor beating Batista, 11-8. By the way, those are all, that means that I am getting some victories. Now, that could change by the morning, but, and then we'll see what happens tomorrow night. Or tomorrow during the day. But, yeah, that's what's going on. In the group right now, facebook.com slash group slash uh, wrestling through the years. This challenge series will be going on for a while. We're in the middle of, uh, of the preliminary round. Then we'll move on to the next round, obviously. I'll keep everybody updated every week. Uh, and if you are part of the group, there is going to be once a week where I do the at everyone tag because we are trying to get more group participation in these polls. 
Now, if you are not a fan of the at everyone tag, just ignore it. If you complain to me about it, I'm going to tell you to fuck off. Because I am trying to get group participation. Uh, If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Just don't vote. But you're not going to get me to stop. Yeah, kiss our ass. Pretty much. Your group. Yeah. So do what you want, Doug. Oh, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I know. Uh, that's all I got. Uh, we'll do part two. We'll do part two of this next week, right? Yes. And then part three the week after. <laughs> Lucky. Ah, very fun. All right, love you guys. Love you guys. You can Bye. Bye. I barely tolerate these fuckers. It's my turn. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I've got the look. That drives the cool. While I've got the mood. That really move them. I said chill.